Does anybody else here have a problem with how Linda prays? Anybody? I mean, I don't, I don't know of anybody who prays as deeply and even as theologically as she does. Uh, you can see that comes out of the hour she routinely spends. She and Carrie spend every day with the Lord. Uh, but as we're going through this sermon series, Confessions of a Pastor, and as I said to you back in 2016, I, I wrestle in my prayer life. Sometimes I wrestle with fear of failure and all these things. And last week we were in Numbers 12, and I talked about sometimes I can, I can wrestle with jealousy. And you get to that confession part, I'm just getting warmed up by the time you move on, right? Am I the only one? There's a lot we wrestle with. There's a lot. And 1 John doesn't pull any punches. This is a gut check. This is a head check. This is a heart check, what he is saying here uh, to, the, to the church about the world. And that's another confession I make to you. Sometimes I am tempted to love this world. Now, we talk about the world. You, you know there are a variety of meanings for that word world in Scripture. God loves the world. He loves those who are lost, and he loves this broken world. God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten son. That's not what John is speaking about here. You and I, as God loves this world, we need to have that, that same kind of love for those who need the Lord too. What I'm tempted to do is to love the things that I'm that as a church and as a pastor and as a Christian I'm calling people out of the world to repent of. I'm tempted to go back to and be not just in the world but sadly the opposite to be of the world. And John has a word here for the church about that. Where I'm tempted to to be of the world when it comes to how I parent, when I view how, myself even, even sadly, he can slip into a church. And so John has much to say to us here, and the battle lines are drawn quickly in this gospel, I mean, this letter. As we go through this, listen to these verses, these opening, just this first chapter and a half of what John says about Jesus, about who he is and what we have in him. Just these first chapter and a half of verses where he says from the beginning, what was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He later goes on to say he is the God of light and in him there is no darkness. Then he talks about the fellowship that we can have with the Trinity. Then he goes on to talk about the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. Later saying if anyone sins we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not just for ours, but again, for the whole world. And then he closes out talking about whether it's little children or children or fathers. I'm writing these things. I'm writing these things because you're forgiven. I'm writing these things to you because you have overcome. Incredible words about who Jesus is and what we can have in him. But even in those verses, peppered throughout all those grand statements about Jesus and, and, the, and the blessings of his atonement upon our lives, 
the gloves have quietly begun to come off. The hammer's begun to drop. Years ago, there was a a movie trilogy based on the Lord of the Rings. If you happen to see the movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, Galadriel, the narrator, begins the story talking about the peace that had fallen in the land for hundreds of years, but that ring was still out there, and she goes on to say, darkness crept back into the forests of the world. Rumors grew of a shadow in the east, whispers of a nameless fear. You read these passages, and as beautiful as they are about Jesus, and what we can have peppered in here is this word, darkness. Seven times by now, John has used this word in these wonderful passages over and over and over. You find that word in Peter, you certainly find that word a lot in Paul, but it's John who owns this word more than any other gospel writer in John 3:19 he says this is a judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil and he uses this word as well throughout this epistle Jesus is the light but there is a darkness church wonderful words about the lord our love for him and how that love is to spill out in our love for one another and for reaching this world but something is going on behind the scenes, and something is trying to creep in to the church and into the believer. And John here says, if you're following along in your notes, that it's the world. And he says it's the love of the world, 1 John 2.15. And here's what he says in your notes, what the love of the world is. Now, it's that mandate. He takes off the gloves here. He's been peppering it in about this darkness. But here's where it comes. He says to the church, you cannot love. Do not love this world. And again, John owns the copyright on that word, too. Three to one over any other gospel, John uses that word world in a variety of ways, but especially in this way and again he's not talking about the created world renee is right on the money one of the great ways that you and i honor god the giver of all good gifts is the way that we enjoy and are stewards of his gifts we better love our family we better love our church family we better god's given us the gift of food and recreation and music all those things when we love them well we give honor to his name paul's not talking about that here He's talking about the world, and he is, he's already saturated this with darkness. Uh, and he's saying, don't be of the world. What do you mean, don't be of the world? I'm of the world. There's only two groups that have not been of the world that are in the world. The Scientologists believe there are aliens living on them. Okay, you're not of this world. And then I grew up near Philadelphia, where Daryl Dawkins played, the doctor of dunk. So I believe he said he was from the planet Lovetron. I've not seen that uh, on any uh, cosmetology chart that I've looked at. But we're of this world. And what John says about his gospel, what John says about this letter to the church is, oh no, in it, in it, yes, church, we've got to be in it. We've got to touch people with the gospel by how we do life with people, but we're not to be of the world. Because here John is being incredibly clear this world is not people or things. This is a mindset. This is, a, and this is how he makes it so almost dirty. When he talks about love of this world, he doesn't just say, oh, it's something 
contradictory to the Lord, which it is. It's, it's antagonistic. It's a, it's a worldview that's contradictory. But he uses terms like lust or boastful, trying to help the church to see this is something we cannot play with, entertain. There's at least three contrasts here and three opposites, showing again that, that this is an evil system opposed to the gospel. If you're reading along with our Bible reading plan, we are starting 1 Corinthians this morning. And it's right there, 1 Corinthians, right in the middle of that chapter. The wisdom of this world, God, it's just foolishness. And God has made that wisdom of this world foolishness. It's, it seems adequate. It not only seems adequate, it seems appealing to this world. And the cross seems like foolishness. But Paul calls it out for the church. And John's calling this world out for the church here. And it's in language that is, come on. Can't the love of the world and love of God coexist? We know what Jesus has said about that, but here's what John's amplifying. Come on, John, just give us a break. And then I bump into a commentary this week that says, again, it's either the love of God or it's the love of this world. Or as the commentary said, a Christian who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. How can you say that? Because that's what John just says. John says here, you got the love of the world in you, then it's impossible to love the Father in that way. And listen, this is some of the horror of what John is saying, and it's why it's, it's right for us to have a, a heart check this morning because he puts it in terms of affection. And we'll close with that this morning. It's not just you have an affinity for, it's not just it's appealing to you. What he's saying is don't give your heart. There, there's love there. One of the earliest checks I had about my love for serving my, 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 my love of the work God's blessed me with. I hope you love the work God's blessed you with. All work, if it's good work, is of God and from God. But I remember early on in our marriage, we had only been married a couple of months, and I was the youth pastor just across the reservoir at St. Mark's Methodist Church, and things were going great. And that student ministry had, had incredibly grown, and kids were letting me into their lives, and I was able to do a lot of connecting with students and some counseling, and they were letting me know what was going on in their lives. Matter of fact, it was somebody's little brother who's in this room this morning called me and said, hey, Barry, I want to meet you at Crackle Barrel. Something's going on in my life. I want to talk to you about it. And this is like 6.30 in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, and I said, you bet. I'll be right there. And I hung up the phone and got up to go get ready, and Sarah was still in bed, and she rolled over and she looked at me and said, you know what? think you love him more than me. Are you kidding? You're the love of my life. You're my bride. I think you love it. It would not have had the effect with me and changed my view of, which again could be so worldly. I want to get my validation from my work. Anybody done that? Spent the extra hours so somebody will stroke me. Somebody will say, hey, good job. Can we do that? Instead of founding my, my heart of my validation in the Lord. I really wanted to help. I really wanted to be there. I really, and she put it in, when you put it in love language, I listened to that. If she just said, oh, you're spending too much time. You know, but she said, do, do I have the affection that you have for your ministry? It was an incredible uh, check on my life. Um, 
And John's checking us with the same terminology. You can't love the world and love the Father. Don't you dare love it. Now, that's, that's the love of the world. Now, here's how the love of the world comes to us. Second point in your notes, 1 John 2.16. This is how the love of the world comes. Again, it's a mindset, it's an attitude, a disposition, and it comes to us. We've talked about this before, but it comes to us routinely in three ways. And they don't perfectly match, but it's helpful to, to be mindful of what the, what the Lord experienced, but also what Adam and Eve experienced, because it, it really is a reminder that, the temptation comes at us in many ways, but really comes to us in three basic ways. In Genesis 3, what about that fruit? It looked good to eat, it looked good to the eyes, and it looked like it would make one wise. The temptation in the wilderness, same thing, threefold. Stones to bread, throw yourself down or fall down and worship me. Here, lust of the flesh, the eyes, and the boastful pride of life routinely that is how the world that's how the devil but even when we're carried away as James would say by our own lust that's that's how we're tempted in three general areas and I heard a preacher once saying I, I I think he was on to something you're probably struggling with one of those areas more than the other three could be you got all three could be you got two but it's interesting that many of us have a chink in the armor in one area but we don't shore that up do you know that every time Jerusalem fell as a city, they fell in the exact same spot in the city? That the enemy attacked every time at the exact same spot, but they didn't shore that up? Same thing with Masada. If you remember, it's not a biblical story, but everybody remembers that story. They knew exactly where they were coming. Same way with Gamala. They knew there is a weakness here, and they didn't shore it up. Over and over again, we have this reminder of here's where he comes. Don't be overconfident as the Pharisees. Well, we've got our doctrine. Yes, but what about this? Or the rich young ruler. Well, I, I follow the backside of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but what about love of God? It's important for us to see and to, and to know these areas where, where temptation can come because typically we're not confronted, not many of us, are confronted by the horror of a temptation when we see it. We're not confronted by this, oh, this would definitely be theft. This would definitely be murder. This would definitely be adultery. What John reminds us about the world is it, it can just sneak in, and it can creep in, and it can catch you. Same thing that Jesus had said about murder and adultery when he talks about heart issues of, of lust and hate and how that can come in. It's not always drastic. It's not always easy to see. Even though you and I are bombarded by these temptations, maybe more than any other culture in history, by what we constantly have uh, before our eyes. To be like the world. To shine. To be noticed. To be somebody. To be able to take the fullness of this world. Do you ever struggle? With the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. I remember when, I, when we moved here, it was in the middle of sixth grade. And I remember in seventh grade is when Nike hit the world, right? Everybody was wearing Nikes in the early 80s, all right? And that was a big thing if you could have a pair of Nikes. Now, when we moved here, we were still holding on to our house. We hadn't sold it back in Pennsylvania. So 
holding on to two house notes. My parents were in public education. We were just struggling with, and mom wasn't working at that point, so we were struggling uh, with, with money, and I had begged for Nikes, couldn't get Nikes. And I'm just going to tell you, it couldn't have been my personality or anything else. It was the Nikes that were holding me back in the social status of Witten Junior High. I know it. If I could only have those, right, or an eyes-eyed shirt, I'd be in. My mom, the last week of seventh grade, got a pair of Nikes. Not me, the mom. They were two sizes smaller than my feet, I think, maybe a size smaller. They were women's shoes. I wore them the last week of school. <laughs> That's right, I wore women's shoes. People saw it. I'm telling you, people saw it. Oh, before that, oh, I had the generic uh, pro wings. Anybody get stuck with those? Oh, it didn't just have the Nike swoosh. It had a double swoosh. It meant it was double cool, right? Oh, no. But the day I put on my first pair of Nikes, I had a good friend say, oh, I see you got some Nikes. There's a pressure for us to shine. There's a pressure for us to feel validated. There's, there's also a deeper pressure, and it becomes a heart issue that we're going to get into where I want to take the things of the world. I want to control the things of the world. I want to have the things of the world, and I need to shine in this world these three areas help us john's trying to help the church call out the world that comes to your life it can be unclear it can come subtly it can come gradually and so paul's giving a wake-up call to the church love the father don't love this world we've been uh and I've been blessed to be, to be able to help and be a part of this. We're launching our Celebrate Recovery in a couple of weeks. You'll hear more about that. Continue to pray for that ministry. Hope you'll continue to volunteer uh, for that. But at every meeting of Celebrate Recovery, uh, we kind of close with a serenity prayer. Now, you and I know that serenity prayer, but we do, probably don't know the whole prayer. We quote that part that, that everybody knows, right? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That's not the whole prayer. Do you know how that prayer ends? And it fights this pressure of making the world our home and the world our source of joy and the world, this, whatever it may be, at the end of that prayer, and you have to pray this. So I'm praying this, but there are times that I fight against it when we go through this at every worship service at CR, Roger. I surrender to your will so that I may be incredibly happy in this life. No, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever. Well, I want supremely on both sides. <laughs> and there is a joy that you'll see in John's letter he talks, I write these things that our joy may be made complete. He brings up joy a couple of times. We're, Wednesday night, we're talking about Philippians, that we can know the joy of the Lord even in our sufferings. But understand this, the world, whether it was the taking of that first fruit to whatever temptation it is with your eyes, your flesh, or your pride, it cannot produce supreme happiness. It just can't. 
But in this life with Jesus and with God's people and in his purposes and kingdom plans, I can be reasonably happy. I can still have the joy of the Lord supremely. But, but this world will not give me what so many times I go to it to get. You want to be reasonably happy in this world? Or are you struggling trying to squeeze out of this life supreme happiness? John comes to the church and says, look at these three ways. It came to Adam, the devil, the, 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 the accuser, the adversary came to Christ in the same way in the, in the wilderness, and he comes to us. may not be where we can clearly see it, but it comes. Church, how is it you and I need to say we will not love the world, and I'm going to see those three areas of my life, especially where I'm weak, and I'm going to shore things up. And then lastly and quickly, 1 John 2.17. What the world is, how the world comes, and what the love of the world does. There is a fallout from this. Just like jealousy last week, here's what the love of the world does. And again, first, it, 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 des it desires our affection. If you're following along in your notes, it desires our affection. It doesn't just want agreement. It wants our hearts. It comes subtly. It may come gradually, but it wants our heart. One commentary this week read, no Christian becomes worldly all of a sudden. Worldly creeps up on a believer. I believe that it creeps up. But what John is warring with the church to see is this. It doesn't just creep on you. It can creep up in you. Don't give your heart to the love of this world because this world is going for your heart. This world is going for your soul. It's why Paul warns the church in, in Romans 12, don't be conformed, that prefix meaning with, don't look like, be formed with this world. You've got to be transformed, meaning it's got to be inside out. Don't let her get into you. And John's here begging the church to see that this world wants your affection. There is no neutral ground. John says, don't love her. She desires your affection. Secondly, though, she deters our attentions. It, the love of this world, the fascination of this world, the temptations of this world will, will challenge where we give our attentions. And so John is saying here, you name those Patterns, you name that mindset. It's a, real, it's a real check. What is the goal of, of Christian parenting? What's the goal of Christian grandparenting? What's the goal of marriage? What's the goal of friendship? What's the goal of any relationship? What's the goal of work? There are worldly definitions for that that actually sound pretty good, but their end is, is so short of the glory of God and, and the purposes of God and the beauty of God and the goodness of God. But there have been times in my parenting or in my marriage or in my friendships or in my work the love of the world will deter our attention what is the goal of recreation the goal of friendship the goal you just name it and the world wants to change that agenda and we have to see it and we have to name it 
And we have to say, no, 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 here's, here's what Scripture says about parenting. This is what I really want for my child. This is what my father wants for his children. Here's my work, Lord. It's not mine, no, it's yours. And I want your will, your plans for my work or for my friendships. But this worldly stuff, it will subtly come, and I'm just thinking I'm doing great stuff in all these arenas, pats on the back, and it's not of God. It's not God's best. And then lastly and sadly, it destroys our aspiration. What, what God had hoped for, what God had planned for, it can destroy that. We listen to what Paul says about Demas. You remember Demas? Paul says some things like uh, when, he, when he's in 2 Timothy, uh, he, call, he calls him out. But if you remember earlier from Colossians, he sends greetings from, from him and from Luke. Demas is a fellow believer. Demas is a brother in Christ. Demas gets named in Scripture. He's, he's one of us. Greetings from us who are in ministry and in faith together. But then you get to 2 Timothy, and what does Paul say about Demas? He now loves this present world, and he's deserted me. The world got him. Somebody who was in, again, First John might debate, and we're going to debate theologically, was, was he ever with us to begin with? Paul certainly says it here, and other scriptures will also fight us. Demas was in. But then he turned his heart and his affections and really his aspirations to the world. And he's gone. And John would say that he's missing now the love of God. It's not that the, the Father's love's not for him, but he's rejected that. Um, that's what the love of the world will do. It will destroy our aspirations. And again, it comes subtly. It comes quietly. Just a little world for my kids here. A little world for me here. Just a little bit of play here. Just a little agenda here. A little mindset here. And John says it'll, it'll shipwreck our faith. Paul says it'll shipwreck our faith. John says to the church, do not love the world it's hard to do this kind of self-examination but when i say well i don't have the lust of this or the boastful pride of life but we do our work and let the spirit lead us in this world uh, in this word and it becomes a little bit more clear to do this self-examination to say lord where is that in my life and here's john John, who has said such wonderful things about Jesus in his gospel and here in this letter, surely as he closes this letter, he's going to say a good word to us because we need it, right? He's going to say something, whether it's a nice prayer like Paul would do, maybe pull out one of those, grace and peace be with you, or maybe he's going to pull out that triune formula that Paul ends with 2 Corinthians. I share it every week. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love can't wait to see how John, who is such a master at language, how is he going to end this letter to the church? What does he say? It's not a prayer and it's not a benediction. Children, you have to keep yourselves from idols. That's it. A warning to the church. Yes, he talks about joy. Yes, he talks about what we can have in Jesus Christ. He talks about the life we can have. 
but he also understands. And he's peppering in that word darkness and world over and over again throughout this letter. He knows how quietly and subtly these things can creep in. How is it you and I need to respond to this, his word? Let's pray about that. Father, there's a, a wonderful word about what we can have in Christ, his forgiving grace, and that we can have his life, and that he has come that we might have life. We praise you for that word about your son, Jesus. But we also come to this word, and we realize whether it is our attention, our affection, our aspiration, but Father, there have been places where we have, we've struggled where we see that temptation in our life. Father, by your Spirit, help us to call out and name those things. Help us to shore up those weaknesses. Father, help us to, to turn from anything that's keeping us from the life that we are to have in and through your Son. For in the Son there is life. Bless now our response to this, your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.